You know, if you're having a bad day, there's always one thing that remains the same. God is good all the time. He never changes. He is unlike the things we're accustomed to. You always know your car is going to break down. Uh, we were talking earlier uh, before I came up here, and we were talking about how WGRR, the oldies, now 1990s music, is considered the oldies, which I need to stop calling that station and complaining. They're just getting tired of it. Um, generation after generation, people come and go, but God always remains the same. Now, over time, less people remember him, and sometimes even we forget how magnificent God is and that God is supposed to be praised and is worthy of praise. Before I get too far, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for sending your son for us. I just pray um, that you put a heart of worship in our hearts, that you inspire us to meditate on how amazing and powerful and wonderful you are. I pray that you help me only convey the message that you want me to convey today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So let's start with our main verse, which is found in Psalms 150, 1 through 6. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the mighty, his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and the pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So is everyone breathing today? Good, good. So if you are breathing, you are called to praise God. In Psalms 150, there are a lot of different instruments and singing and dancing. And I love the excitement and energy brought on the subject of praising the Lord. I want to thoroughly discuss worship. So I am going to go through some of the examples of the Bible on different ways we worship. How to worship God, number one, sacrifice. So I want to rewind a little bit and look at the Bible first, where it first mentions worship. This is found in Genesis 22, 4 through 5. On the third day, Abraham looked up, and he saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey a while. I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. If you're familiar with this chapter, you know this is the chapter or the story on how God tested Abraham. He told him to sacrifice his son Isaac, but then he provided a ram instead. I'm not going to go too deep in this story. I just wanted to recognize how Abraham worshipped early on. So how did Abraham worship God? Well, with sacrifices. This was before the law of Moses, although the worship was similar. Moses also described sacrifices as worship. When Moses told the Pharaoh to release God's people from slavery, the Pharaoh 
said, leave your livestock. And Moses told the Pharaoh he couldn't because some of them had to be used for worship. In the early days, they used animals for sacrifice. But when Jesus came, he did away with animal sacrifice. In the New Testament, we are still instructed to make sacrifices as worship. What do we sacrifice now as worship? We, sac- we sacrifice our money and things as an offering instead of animals. And we can find this in Matthew 25, 37 through 40. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes? And clothe you. When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, I truly tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. When we give, we are able to help people who need it. And Jesus tells us when we give to the needy, we are giving to Jesus. So, does Jesus need anything? Does he need clothes? Does he need someone to visit him? No, Jesus doesn't need those things. But when we give, we do it to bring attention to Jesus' name. And also because we love people. When we give in Jesus' name, it is worship. And it's an act of worship when we say, Jesus, if this is what you desire, I want to do this for you. I will gladly give time money, resources in your name. I want you to think about what you give. For example, if you are giving to a food pantry and you give expired vegetables, according to Matthew 25, you are giving Jesus expired vegetables. Remember, under the old covenant, God wanted those animal sacrifices to be without blemish. How about offering at church? Do we give the church less than we pay Cincinnati Bell or Spectrum? When we give, we should give God our best. When we give our time to God, we should be giving Him the best because He is worthy. That's why in my life, I spend my alone time with God in the morning I do spend time with him throughout the day and night, but I have time set up in the morning because that's when I am able to really meditate and pray the most effectively. I do pray at night, but sometimes my time is not quality and I fall asleep while I'm praying. Because I am tired after work and that's okay because I spent time with him in the morning. I've already spent quality time with God. Some of you guys aren't morning people, don't point at each other. But you might want to wake up a little bit before you spend the bulk of your time with God. Jesus also instructs us to visit people in their time of need. So we sacrifice our time to be available for those who are lonely or need us. As it said in Matthew 25, we don't forget the prisoners. Paul also tells us, Our bodies are living sacrifices. And this is found in Romans 12, 1 and 2. 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his pleasing or his good and pleasing perfect will. We are the offering when we reject being like the world. We are the sacrifice or we sacrifice worldly things like chasing sinful things. Renew our, we renew our minds by learning and meditating on God's word. We sacrifice time and pleasure by putting time aside to be different people. People that have different minds than the rest of the world. In other words, we become transformed to be weird. And as we are being transformed, our bodies become instruments for righteousness. When God sees this worship, it is holy and pleasing to him. Jesus is our shepherd and example. He taught us if persecution comes because of him, we are to lay our lives down to him, even to the point of death. This happened very early on when the church started, and in some parts of the world, this is still going on today. John wrote a letter to one of the first churches about this in Revelation 2, 10 and 11. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison and test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. The sacrifice of our lives on this earth leads to the crown of eternal life and protects us from the death after we die. As of right now, in this country, deadly persecution is pretty rare. But we should always prepare because you never know if you will ever have to make that decision. Number two, how to worship. We can worship with our words. Our main verse, David worshiped with music. At least I think he wrote that song. This is probably the first thing that comes to mind when we talk about worship. And rightly so, because it's easy to use our words to worship. You can worship in the car or while you exercise. You can worship at work, even in prison like Paul and Silas, but hopefully it's just because of prison ministry. We find this in Acts 16, through 25. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and against the magistrates, and ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet with stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. I want us to stop and really think about this. They're in prison, 
And I don't see any reason for them to believe that they're getting out anytime soon. Because remember, Jesus warned his people that they were going to be thrown in prison. So they should have expected this. But that doesn't still, that doesn't make it easier knowing ahead of time. And they were stripped and attacked. They were all beaten up and thrown in prison. And think about how you would react. I kind of wonder what it would have been like if I would have been like, why God? Or God, get me out of here. But not Paul and Silas. They worshiped God in tough circumstances. Have you ever been in a tough situation and you just worship God and forget about all your problems? I know many times when Eli was going through his cancer treatment, it was soothing to worship God. I didn't go into worship and think, man, I'm getting some kind of soothing worship massage. But I'm not sure what made me think even to worship. I think maybe it was some of these passages like Paul and Silas that gave me that attitude of worship. If we go into worship with a selfish attitude, then it's not worship at all. It's when we go in and worship because of who God is and what He has done. Often there is a weight lifted knowing that God is still on His throne and that He is worthy to be worshipped. We also worship with our words when we pray. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he started with worship. When he said, Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Another great example of this worship with words is when the apostles were beaten and disgraced. And you can find that in Acts 5, 40 and 41. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Can you imagine thanking God after being beaten? I know a lot of times something goes the way I want it and I'm, then I immediately rejoice. Like maybe a deer runs in front of me and I just miss them and I'm like, man, thank you, Jesus. Or someone tells me a story about somebody being a prayer answered or a prayer being answered for myself, and just immediately rejoicing and saying, thank you, Jesus. But I want to be like the apostles and rejoice in tough times too. I want to rejoice when people think I'm weird and talk behind my back because I believe in Jesus. I want to thank Jesus when I'm excluded for, from thanks for being a Christian. I want to worship. I want the worship to be such a big part of my identity that if I was beaten, the attitude of worship would just come from my heart. We also worship our words when we proclaim to others how good God is. And this is found in 1 Chronicles 16, 28 through 30. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due in his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord 
in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. We can worship by bringing recognition for what God does and who he is. Not just in church, but wherever you go. There was one time a prophet told me that I was going to be blessed financially. I'm not talking about one of those TV evangelists that you see all the time, like an actual person who I know has prophetic uh, gifts. And then after she told me this, I think it was like on a Sunday, and that Thursday, my boss called me and gave me a raise. And then one of my coworkers who had deep connections with my boss said to me, I bet you were surprised when you got that promotion. And there's a lot of reasons why it was surprising that I got the promotion. But I told him I was somewhat surprised, but I would have been a whole lot more surprised if God didn't already tell me. And as you could imagine, my coworker was very surprised to hear that. Wherever you are, we need to give God credit for what he does. When it comes to creation, we don't give credit to anyone except God. If you have the ability to say no to sin, and you have to understand that God gave you that ability. If you excel in giving, you've got to give God credit for that gift. That was an area that I was really weak in. And uh, when Sarah and I first got married, she would just always give things away that we didn't use. I would be so confused, and I would tell her, hey, we could sell that. And this was a time where we didn't have a whole lot of money either. But eventually, God used her to influence me to be a giver. And when God changed my life, my friends couldn't believe it. But God gets the credit for that. My strength is in Christ Jesus, and so is yours when you carry out that Christian lifestyle, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet, not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Paul works harder than them, as he says. Yet, it isn't a work because it was the grace that caused him to put all that work in. So even when it seems like we are doing all this work, whether we work in a church or have some other kind of ministry, if God's causing you to do it, he should get the credit. He puts those holy desires in us. He is the cause behind the abilities to carry out his perfect purposes. When we worship, we need to make sure we worship also in the spirit and the truth, as it says in John 4, 23 and 24. Yet as time is coming, as now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must be worshipped must worship in spirit and in truth. We should be slow to speak, as James says, and this is also true with worship. We shouldn't just put 
any song on that we hear just because it's on the radio station that claims to be Christian. We should take time, learn, and test the lyrics. That way, if it is true, we wor- our worship will come from our hearts. And we won't just sing with vain repetitions. When we worship in the Spirit, we worship in the realm of the Spirit. And we do this by keeping in step with the Spirit. No longer do you worship in a temple like the Israelites. And you also don't only worship in a church building. You can worship in the Spirit in any location. Just like Paul and Silas did in jail. When we worship in truth, we don't worship idols. God is jealous and God doesn't share worship with idols. For the most of us, we're not going to be tempted to worship an image um, that isn't God, like some of the stuff you would see in the Old Testament. But I think any of us could be tempted by the idol of greed, as Paul talks about in Colossians 3, 5, and 6. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to you, your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. So why are evil desires and greeds consider, or greed consider idols? Well, let's look at another passage to give us a little bit more context. This is found in Matthew 6, 24. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So when can money become an idol? When we serve it like we are supposed to serve God. We are supposed to be moved by the grace of God and not by the grace of money. An idol can be any evil desire that takes our worship away from God. We should be real careful about that. Our bodies are supposed to be the temple of God. And we can't let idols in the temple of God. As we talked about earlier, money is an evil on its own. When we give it in the name of Jesus as a sacrifice, then it's worship. So with all the ways we can worship, let's commit to worshiping every day. That's, what's in he- or that's what heaven's supposed to be like. Someone or someone, something, you know, with all those creatures in Revelation, something or someone worshiping God all the time. Let's remember how big God is in our Lord the King. That God has the world in his hands. And he made his son the king of kings. That their glory and majesty is so great, we can't even handle it. In Revelation, John sees Jesus in his glory. And it is so strong that he drops down as if he was dead. And Jesus has to revive him. Also, in the Bible, it teaches us that no one can even look at the Father and live. What a blessing as a mere human to be able to worship that God. Here's the kicker. Is this amazing and all-powerful God and His Son loved their children. 
we worship a big God. 